You awake from a long sleep. You appear to be home, but a dream haunts you. You remember the flames, but you put them out. You remember sharks swimming below the ice of a frozen pond. They got the better of you. But the calendar has turned to October. No time left to dwell on the dreams of last year. You have Stanley Cup aspirations. This is the story of the 2019-2020 Colorado Avalanche, and you're about to follow them on their quest. Welcome to the Denverse. Hi, and welcome to the Denverse. I am Derek, and this week we will take you on a journey through the Denverse, the realm of Denver sports. Whether you know what's going on and just need to get out those emotions after that Broncos-Jaguars game, or if you didn't even know the Colorado Avalanche start their season tonight when this is being recorded, Thursday night, this podcast is for you. And we'll take you on that journey now, starting with, of course, the 0-4 Denver Broncos. The Jacksonville Jaguars come to town, and the Broncos are handedly beating them. They're up 17-3 to late in the second quarter when Joe Flacco throws a timely interception. Jacksonville gets the points, scores in the third quarter. Broncos get shut out, and all of the problems we talked about last week continued to be an issue. The depth, Josie Jewell went down, and they had no answer there. The questionable coaching decisions... Vic Fangio really didn't think about letting the clock run out. They just tried to score, left too much time on the clock. Jacksonville able to drive down the field and score a field goal after the Broncos went ahead with just over a minute left. Jacksonville wins 26-24. There's not a lot else to say about this game other than, you know, things are looking bad. They're the same problems. On top of that, you have Bradley Chubb, One of the exciting parts of the season who finally got some action. Broncos got a bunch of sacks in that Jacksonville game, and now he's out for the year with an ACL tear, so you're not even developing his talent. It just keeps getting harder to find things to look forward to, and this team is not one year away from competing. They would be lucky to win five games at this point the rest of the season, and they still have 12 games left. So that's how bad things are. I don't know where their first win comes, but they're hoping it comes this Sunday against the Chargers. Right now, not a lot of people think that the Broncos have a chance to win, and the spread on the money line is 6.5 in favor of the Chargers, which, I mean, isn't terrible, but the Broncos will probably have more fans than the Chargers at that soccer stadium they play at. It's called the Dignity Health Sports Park. And so if you don't want to miss that game, it's going to be this Sunday. Uh, You might want to miss it, though. Because there's a lot of other exciting things going on in the world of Denver sports. One thing that I think was interesting in the talk this week, there was an article by Nikki Jabala on The Athletic about the Broncos not really staying the course with any of their um, personnel over the years. You know, under Elway, you've had John Fox as the coach. You had Gary Kubiak, Vance Joseph, and now Vic Fangio. And they're 0-4. People are already saying that Vic Fangio probably isn't the right coach. I think I've even said that. Um, I definitely have. More just because I don't think Fangio looks comfortable. And I think just on a side note here, some people have talked about maybe Vic Fangio needs to go back to the booth because that's where he's comfortable as a coach, 
which would be the only time I can remember other than when a coach was injured or sick or uh, Paterno at Penn State that a coach has been in the booth, but maybe that's what it takes for the Broncos to win here. But getting back to what Nikki was saying, she was saying, you know, stability is important. And this is something we talk a lot about in sports. You have the dynasty franchises. You have New England Patriots with Bill Belichick. You have the San Antonio Spurs with Greg Popovich. And it seems like continuity, even through the bad years, and admittedly, neither of the franchises have had a lot of bad years with those two, but that continuity helps you solve problems. And, you know, the argument is Elway needs to keep the staff together so that they can solve problems because he's just been going to quick fixes. And I think that strategy works great. You just have to be sure you have those right guys. You have to have the Bill Walsh that can lead the San Francisco 49ers. You have to have you know, Bob Hartley for the abs those few years and Pierre Lacroix right now. I still am not convinced that Vic Fangio and his staff are the right people. And so what good is continuity going to do you if you have the wrong people to begin with? There's also been this talk about how do you really punish Elway? Some people are calling that he should be fired. I think it would be better that either he step up to president and have a new person come in as general manager or just be limited in some way. And we know that the ownership dispute is causing a lot of problems here. It's not something that's going to be easily fixed, but it is something that I think we'll have to look at is what exactly does it mean to hold John Elway accountable in 2019 and beyond? And I do not think that it's just instantly firing him, but I don't know exactly what the right answer is here. That's really all I want to talk about with the Broncos. Moving on to the other football team in town, the Colorado Buffaloes. They had a bye week, hoping some people got healthy. LaVisca Chenault and Mustafa Johnson, who have both been in the first round now of projected NFL picks for the Buffs in the NFL draft next year, are both questionable. We'll see if they play game time. Not looking great for either of them. But the Buffs will play the Arizona Wildcats. The Buffs are three-and-a-half-point favorites at Folsom Field. The game's at 2.30 on Saturday. So get excited for that. And then... We'll see what happens. This is a battle for the top of the Pac-12 because whoever or the Pac-12 South because whoever wins will be two and zero in the Pac-12 South. So that'll be exciting to see. Looking forward to that. Um, other exciting news: the Rapids still have a chance to make the playoffs. Um, if they make the playoffs, I promise to talk more about the Rapids. It's time to talk about everyone's favorite team, the Colorado Rockies. When we had Aaron Davidson on the podcast last week, I thought we were going to be done talking about the Colorado Rockies because they just make me sad. I don't think anyone really wanted to talk about them anymore. But in a week where John Elway is going on the radio and saying that the Broncos are so close to turning things around and he feels like they have the right pieces at 0-4, the Rockies still proved that they were the most inept franchise out of the four in Denver right now. The Rockies held a press conference this week with Dick Monfort, owner of the Rockies, general manager Jeff Breidich, and manager Bud Black. And if you didn't watch the video, you wouldn't know Black was there because no one was talking about anything that Bud Black said. They were really talking about Monfort and Breidich. So to the Monfort part real quick, the Rockies agreed to a new TV deal with AT&T which took over for Root Sports, that'll start next year. This is great news considering that Altitude has still not struck a deal within this 24-hour window before the Avs' first game with any of the big three cable companies. And AT&T is pretty safe because they are owned by Dish Network, 
or Dish Network is owned by AT&T, so they're probably going to be able to stay on the air. Um, there has been some talk about maybe AT&T being offloaded to another um, another owner of TV station, Sinclair, which if you know anything about Sinclair, it doesn't sound great. They um, have been accused of creating propaganda to make their local newscasts read over the air, but I don't see how they could do that for a baseball game, so I don't know how much it matters. Anyways, Momfort, this is a quote about the TV deal. It's not as lucrative as I would have wanted, but it is more money. The whole TV RSN world is a different game. I'm not a streamer. I don't even know what streaming looks like, but I turn on my TV, and if it doesn't work, I'm very upset. But yes, it is going to be more money. I've always said everything passes through, revenues pass through to the payroll, and I think we've proven that over time. He also said that because of that, because it doesn't kick in until next year, the Rockies have no money to spend in the offseason. If it had kicked in this year, then they'd have money, but they don't. But from all reports, it's not as much as he would like, and the Rockies already had one of the worst TV deals in baseball. So why isn't Major League Baseball stepping in and saying, I'm sorry, Rockies, we're going to have to be a little harder on you here. We're not just going to take the first offer on the table. This was the only offer on the table because it was in an exclusive negotiating period with AT&T, Dick Monfort has no idea what else he could have gotten out there. And it's not as much money as he would have liked. Well, just start a bidding war. At least see what's out there. Worst case scenario, you go back to AT&T and say, we'll take that first deal. That's not what the Rockies did. And in true Rockies fashion, they will be locked into AT&T and all of those guys for a long time without exploring the market. And you'd think that would be the worst thing that happened during this press conference. But Jeff Breidich was able to have a lot of interesting quotes on this one. He argued with Patrick Saunders of the Denver Post about what rebuilding meant because Nolan Arenado, your star player, said that he felt like the team was rebuilding. Jeff Breidich had all these excuses about how they weren't really rebuilding because rebuilding teams said they were rebuilding and they wouldn't have even signed Nolan for him to be around to make those comments if they were really rebuilding and a bunch of stuff like that, which was very infuriating. But then Jeff Breidich let it be known that he is the reason that Nolan Arenado has an opt-out in his contract after two more seasons. Nolan did not want the opt-out, and Jeff Breidich came along and said, I think you'll want this. And he's like, I actually don't want it. Here's the quote. I was the one who actually pushed for that opt-out. To Nolan's credit, he didn't have a ton of interest in that initially being in there. It wasn't a priority of his for it to be in there. I was the one who thought it might be a good idea. That comes from experience, being here for 15 years and living with some of those other contracts, hearing stories about players under big contracts like that elsewhere in this game and some of the realities that can exist. Giving people the opportunity to take a breath and say, is this right for me right now? I have one career, and if you're talking about Nolan, one chance to play this game. So arguably the best player in Rockies history may leave in two years, because the general manager thought he might not want to still be here and wanted to give him the flexibility. That's not the general manager's job. His job is to get the best deal for the team. With this opt-out, it's no longer the best deal for the team. And he said it's in no way affecting how he's approaching the next two years, and he doesn't feel any pressure. This is why I'm so mad about everything, because there was no reason for Jeff Breidich to say this. He also said during this press conference that Really what he learned this year was that the players needed to play better and that a bunch of guys had down years, but what were the odds that was going to happen again? Everyone groans as Ian Desmond has been on the team for three years now. So that was very frustrating. 
I am happy to not think about the Rockies for a while. I don't think they're going to trade Charlie Blackman anymore. I don't really know what they're going to do, but apparently help is not on the way, but the Rockies still see themselves as contenders, which brings me back to what I said at the beginning of the season, which was if you believe in the Rockies guys as much as they believe in their guys, then they should be good. Well, the guys weren't good, and the Rockies lost 91 games. Yes, they swept Milwaukee the last season of the year. Milwaukee clearly had a lot of pressure because they lost the wild card game, so that might have been more on Milwaukee looking back at things. But this is not a good baseball team, and this is not a team that just needs a couple guys to rebound to really succeed here. So disappointing on all counts. Really would like to not think about them again until spring training. Just quickly, the Nuggets had their media day this week. There's a lot of fun stuff out there. If you're really into the Nuggets, I'm sure we'll get more into them as the preseason goes along. And hints of Michael Porter Jr. finally playing in a game for the Nuggets are all over the place. He's going to play at some point during this preseason. But one thing Michael Malone did was replayed Game 7 of the Portland Trailblazers series at the team dinner. Of course, the Nuggets came up short in that. A lot of disappointing performances in that game and really that series. Um... So that was an interesting move by the coach, but he wanted everyone to, I think, get a little tampered down after all these expectations about the Nuggets being, you know, a top five to 10 team in the NBA. So that's what's going on in Nuggets land, and we'll get a lot more into that. I wanted to spend a few minutes here talking about the Colorado Avalanche, who begin this week, opening night, Thursday night, tonight, against the Calgary Flames, the team that they ousted from the playoffs a year ago. And then they'll play Saturday night against the Minnesota Wild. They have two more home games over the next week following that Saturday, and then they'll head out on the road. They got a Florida series early in there. So a lot of excitement. Uh, There are quite a few things that I'm looking at here for the Colorado Avalanche. I think that, you know, they signed Ranton in the last week, so that was exciting all around. He's making the most money on the team. This year he's making $12 million dollars which is the second most all-time. The first most being the contract that Joe Sackick signed that was front-loaded back in 99 to keep him with the Colorado Avalanche. The Rangers signed him to this contract. They knew the Avs couldn't match. There's a whole saga involved. Luckily, Joe Sackick stayed, and he is now a great general manager for the Colorado Avalanche. So one thing that's exciting is Connor Timmons made the team. He's a defenseman on opening night. He has dealt with concussion issues the last two years. Wasn't really sure if he was ever going to play for the Avalanche. And then we thought he'd probably play in the AHL, but he had a very good preseason. They feel like he can be on that third pairing with Ryan Graves right now. Mark Barberio is going to be your seventh defenseman for the moment. And then they have a couple good options down in in the AHL with the Colorado Eagles in Loveland, including Calais Rosen, who by all accounts had a very good preseason. On the other side, Bowen Byram did not make the Avalanche the first-round draft pick, fourth overall for the Avs this spring. He got sent down to the OHL, the Vancouver team, and so he is not eligible to play until the OHL season is over, which is usually late March, early April. So if we're going to see Bowen Byram this year, it's probably going to be in the playoffs, which everyone thinks the Avs are going to qualify for and maybe have really good position for. I've seen them ranked as high as the second best team in the NHL, winning the Central Division, which is considered the hardest division in hockey. 
even just making the playoffs as the second or third team would be a huge step over being the wild card game and taking 80 games to uh to shore up a playoff spot but everyone has high expectations there are some things that are tampering th- people down goaltending is a question mark just because philip grubauer had a good couple of months but that is the longest stretch where he's been a starting goaltender in the nhl so everyone's really relying on him and then as a backup they have um pavel Franceau. And that's not exactly how you say his last name, but I'm still working on it. In a couple weeks, hearing it a couple times, I'll get it down. But we're going to call him Franso for this podcast. He has not started an NHL game yet, but he is your backup. And the Avalanche actually don't have a lot of goaltending depth in their organization. They traded for a goalie because they weren't happy with their third string guy and really don't have a lot of depth at all. They could use a couple more guys in the system. So goaltending, the... The defense is better than it's been in a long time, so that helps. Eric Johnson returned from his injury. We expect Ian Cole to be back at some point, maybe December. Makar and Gerard are going to be your top pairing. Nikita Zadorov is still around. And then Timmons and Graves, who I mentioned. Graves and Zadorov are big guys, and so that'll help. Just all around, this is the best defensive team the Avs have had maybe since the Stanley Cup team in 2001. So that is exciting. Um, and that means that Grubauer doesn't have to play as well as Varlamov did when they had no defense. But not having Varlamov around is definitely going to hurt them. I think that's one of the keys to this season is how do they fill in for some of those guys who are absent? Varlamov, for one, Barry, who really helped get the abs in the playoffs last year with his play along with Carl Soderberg, who they also got rid of, and then Alexander Kerfoot, one of your young guys. Some guys they brought in who are hoping to um, make up for some of that production Nazem Kadri looked great in the preseason. Jonas Donskoy, who was with the San Jose Sharks, looks like a top six forward right now. He wasn't in San Jose, so that's exciting for him. Andre Burakovsky, who came over from Washington, didn't have a great preseason, but still looking to be a top six or maybe that seventh forward playing with JT Comfer. And then Tyson Jost, people think he could have a 50-point season, and that would really help because last year the Avs had the top line and not really anyone else for a lot of the year. And now that that top line is together, you know, hopefully the other scoring can help and just sort of support them. Jared Bednar said, we are glad we got our big moose back when Rantanen was signed. So that's exciting. There was a lot of good Rantanen stuff this week. I'll put the Rantanen-Landeskog video in the newsletter. So make sure to check that out. The other thing the Avs have to turn around is their overtime record. They would just lose games in the worst ways. It was always breakaways. We've talked about it on this podcast. But I'm really looking for the Avs to turn that around. Um, just looking over the roster real quick. Matt Calvert is looking to play sort of a shutdown role. He's going to be a big presence on the penalty kill. He got hurt in that San Jose series, and that really hurt the Avalanche just because they didn't have that depth there. Valerie Nishkinen, who played with Dallas last year. People weren't sure if he was going to make the team. He was a late signing before training camp. He has made the team right now. I don't think anyone's that excited about it, though. Uh, Colin Wilson came back as a free agent, just going through the guys we haven't really mentioned. Um, I don't really know what his role is going to be because it sort of feels like Nishkinen's filling his role, what we thought on the fourth line, but he could play really anywhere. He played on the second line some last year with Landis Gog. Tyson Jost is still trying to have a breakout year. We're hoping it's this year. Seen a lot of people who think Nathan McKinnon will be the MVP and maybe score the most points in the league, so that's exciting. 
Pierre-Edward Bellamere is coming in. He was another free agent signing. He's 34, but hasn't played in the NHL for very long because he came over late from Europe. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays. He's great at face-off, so he might be a guy first on the penalty kill, but also in big face-off situations. Uh, Kamenev made the team. He has gotten hurt at the beginning of both of the last two seasons. So exciting for him that he gets to start. Hopefully he makes it more than a few games. It would great be great for him to just be healthy because you don't want him to be one of those guys. Matt Nieto returns. He'll, he was great on the penalty kill and also probably playing that bottom six. He and Calvert had a lot of chemistry with Soderberg last year, so expect to see them together. Gabe Landeskog is 26 now, just to make everyone feel old. Miko Rantanen is obviously back, and we've talked about all of the defensemen and the goalies. So that's your Colorado Avalanche for the year. Very excited about this. This team wasn't fun to watch a lot of the time last year. They were the year before. i just like to get back to them being a more fun team to watch, but I cannot wait for hockey. And then the Nuggets, we're like two and a half weeks away. So we finally made it to the point. We're really like three weeks away. I was, I was being too optimistic. But let's just say two and a half weeks away. Uh, very excited that these things are happening so we can shift our focus away from the Rockies, who I don't want to talk about, as I said and the Broncos and everything else going on in the world outside of the Denver's. So thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, go Abs.